to read and to study and to be encouraged by this morning. So I don't mind at all being ordinary. I tell people sometimes I'm vanilla. <laughs> vanilla is good, isn't it? Especially if you put a little bit of chocolate syrup or cherries and things like that on it, or strawberry. It's good. So, and the Lord helped me to not be still be vanilla, but gave me a a wife that's kind of a strawberry to help out with stuff like that. So. Chuck Swindoll talks about in, in one of his books on marriage, he encourages his readers to imagine that you are on an airplane headed for a two-week vacation in Hawaii. However, when the plane lands, instead of being in Hawaii, you are in Alaska. And you find out that you are in Alaska for the next two weeks. You can't get out of there. Uh, no possibility of leaving. How many of you would be disappointed? Something like that. I thought so. Probably most of us would be. We're heading for Florida this afternoon. Hopefully we won't end up in Alaska. <laughs> so. But, you, you know, you can handle that in, in two different ways. Chuck Swindoll indicates you can deal with your unrealized expectations by grumbling and complaining and being miserable because you didn't get what you expected, or you can adjust to your situation and take advantage of the opportunities that are available to you in Alaska. You can explore the beauties of Alaska. You might have to get some more clothes if you went there. You could do some skiing or snowshoeing. You could go catch some salmon, watch some whales, shoot a moose. You could visit with the local people there and probably find them very, very interesting people. You could make the best out of a situation you did not really expect to be in. Oftentimes, when people get married, they find out that marriage is not exactly what they expected it was going to be. No one marries a perfect wife or a perfect husband, and the fictional romance stories that you see or you read about are just that, fiction. They don't often correspond with reality. It has been said that men marry women expecting that the women are not going to change, and that women marry men expecting that they are going to be able to change them and shape them up. Neither of these expectations turn out to be very accurate. So what do you do when you find out that your expectations of a perfect marriage to a perfect partner in a perfect world are not going to be realized? Well, you could give yourself to a life of misery and complaining that you didn't get everything you expected. Or you can adjust your expectations and adapt to reality. And along with that, you can focus on doing your part to apply God's basic plan to your own individual life as a marriage partner. You can't change your partner, but you can do your part to be the kind of a partner that God wants you to be. Just a reminder of God's program spelled out in Genesis chapter 2. He says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. 
and they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. God's program there uh, indicates, first of all, that the fact that this is a, a very important principle because we have it repeated three other times in Scripture as far as that being God's plan for marriage. Uh, first of all, we find that God's plan involves a, a leaving father and mother. That doesn't mean abandoning your parents, totally giving up your relationship with them, but it does mean that you adjust your relationship with them, enter into an adult relationship with your parents, and you give priority to your mate. Uh, you're not to be dependent upon your parents. You need to also resolve any bitterness, resentment, or bad attitudes towards your parents, and you shouldn't be trying to change your mate to get them to be acceptable to your, your parents. So we find that that's uh, God's plan, and the key truth that is included in that particular principle that's spelled out there is the fact that the husband and wife relationship is to be the primary human relationship. If you're married and you're a husband, your relationship with your wife is more important than your relationship with anybody else in the world. And same thing's true for the wife. Your relationship with your husband is more important than your relationship with anybody, even your parents, even your children. The primary relationship is the husband-wife relationship. And uh, we talked about some practical applications last week for parents and for young ladies and young men and also for children as far as recognizing their parents need to be uh, looking out for themselves with husband and wife above everything else. We find out that, that God's plan also involves a, a cleaving. Leaving father and mother, a man is instructed to cleave to his wife. Now, first thing we need to recognize, there are some popular misconceptions in our world today about marriage. Uh, some think of it as being temporary. Well, if it doesn't work out, you know, we can always get rid of this partner and, and get another one. And honestly, some people walk into marriage with that kind of a, an attitude. And that's not God's plan. It's not God's program. Some see marriage as being out of date. In fact, I've heard it stated. Some think that lifelong marriage is obsolete. And you can't expect to have one marriage partner be your partner for your whole life after you get married, that you need different kinds of partners at different times in your life. You need maybe one partner for your 20s and maybe a different partner for your 30s, another one for your 50s, and their, their thought is that lifelong monogamy is something that is just obsolete, shouldn't be. Well, that's not what God says. That's not what God's principle is. He says that a man's to cleave to his wife and a wife's to cleave to her husband. Others just say that, that marriage is is not important. You know, why bother getting married? Uh, just live together. And then some in connection with that think that they need a trial run. You got to live together for a while before you actually do get married and, and kind of try out marriage. Well, the fact of the matter is if you live together without being married, that's not marriage. It's not a very good trial run because there's no commitment that's there. The back door is still open. But some say, well, let's just live together. And there's much of that goes on in our world today. In fact, in many areas, the stigma is being lifted totally uh, in, in that area. But God's plan hasn't changed. There are some that say, who needs a piece of paper? Why bother? We'll just go ahead and live together. But God's plan is this, that one man be married to one woman. By the way, notice the genders that are laid out there in Scripture. 
one man, one woman uh, together until separated by death. That's spelled out in Genesis chapter 2 when Jesus is asked about the uh, divorce in Matthew chapter 19. He takes the Pharisees back to Genesis chapter 2 and restates that principle that a man should leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and they too should become one flesh. And then Jesus adds to that what God has put together, man should not be putting asunder. Let not man put asunder. So that's God's plan. Uh, but we need to understand, what, what, what's this business of cleaving? Well, it's, it's kind of confusing for us because in our the English language today, we think of cleaving sometimes as cutting apart. You talk about a meat cleaver that cuts something apart. Well, the, the term cleave, as used in especially the King James Version of the Bible and carried over to the New King James, is rather the idea of, of sticking together. It, it's the idea of being united and when Christ talks about that, it's be united, don't let man put asunder. And in connection with that, we need to recognize what the origin of marriage is. Some of the, the light attitudes towards marriage today uh, grow out of the whole evolutionary philosophy that many people follow in their thinking in our day and age. They see the fact that uh, they think that marriage started when a bunch of cavemen and women were living together in, in kind of a communal, promiscuous setting and they, they decided it would be good if they, they kind of paired up. And uh, that's where marriage came from, that it kind of evolved. You know, like everything else is evolved. But once again, that's not God's program. That's not where marriage came from. We see where marriage came from and where it was instituted right there in Genesis chapter 2. Where we're on the basis of the way that God created one man, Adam, for one woman, Eve. And he put them together. He said on the basis of what he's done there... Here's my plan for marriage. A man will leave his father and mother, cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That's God's plan. And that is the plan of an all-wise, all-loving, all-knowing, sovereign creator. That's his program. That's his plan. He's never amended it. He's never changed it. He's never adapted it. That is the plan of God. It hadn't changed in the Pharisees' day. When Jesus points the, 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 the Pharisees back to the book of Genesis and says this is the way it was in the beginning and the way that it's intended to, to carry on. That's what marriage is all about. And uh, we find that this matter of, of cleaving, once again, just touch base on that, this idea of, of adhering, clinging to, being faithful. The Greek term that's used there in Matthew chapter 19 is kalao, and it means to join fast together glue, cement, and a lot of times used of metals and even thinking about welding. Now, when you glue something together, you cement something together, you can take it apart a lot of times, but not without causing a whole lot of damage. Did you ever take something apart that you glued together, especially with some good Elmer's wood glue or tight bond wood glue or something like that? It rips apart, doesn't it? It makes a mess. It's not like it was. And Jesus said God's plan is one man, one woman, until death separates them. And let not man put, put asunder. But man can put asunder. And man does put asunder. And marriages can be destroyed. But not without pain. Not without damage. And the first person to tell you that there's damage is somebody that's been through a divorce. 
Christian person that's been through a divorce can tell you some of that that's gone on. Uh, we, we need to understand what, what marriage is. It's an important institution. It is a foundational institution. Marriage is foundational to the family. Well, why are children so messed up in our school systems today? Because they don't have solid marriages that, that are instituted and, and that they're coming from in their families. Unless you have solid marriages, you're not going to have solid families. Unless you have solid marriages and solid families, you're not going to have solid communities. You're not going to have solid churches. In fact, we find that God's plan for marriage and, and solid families is foundational to the country. And we find our country right now wanting to, to redefine what marriage is all about, and we're reaping a lot of the benefits of it, a lot of the, the destruction of it, consequences of it now. And I'll tell you what, I fear for my grandkids. I fear for what it's going to be like when they grow up. What's the world going to I see the changes that have happened in my lifetime. And I wonder what's going to be like when, when they grow up. It's going to be difficult. But you know what? God's still in control. And they'll live for God. God will help them no matter what the world around them is like. There is hope when you're living your life for the Lord Jesus Christ. What is, what is marriage? Exactly what is marriage? Well, first of all, talk about what it's not. Number one, marriage is not just a sexual relationship. And a couple of passages indicate that to us. One is in Exodus chapter 22, verses 16 and 17 in the law, where it talks about a, a man seducing a virgin. And in Exodus chapter 22, verse 16, it says, And if a man entices a virgin who is not betrothed and lies with her, uh, has sex with her, he shall surely pay the bride price for her to be his wife. Number one option, she can become his wife. She's not his wife. It's because he seduces her outside of marriage. And number two, if her father utterly refuses to give her to him, he'll pay the bride, he'll pay the money according to the bride price of virgin. So uh, if a man were to, to seduce a woman that wasn't married, seduce a virgin, number one, she could become his wife if the father agreed to that father says no it's not going to happen then still he was required to pay a price but the thing we need to see there is the fact that a mere sexual relationship does not mean two people are married sometimes folks have the idea well if you have sex then you're married no that's not the case at all not biblically and, and certainly not in, in real life practical situations at all uh, we also see this in, in the uh, sermon uh, the, the, uh, Jesus deals with a woman at the well in John chapter 4 as he deals with her he tells her to uh, go get your husband and her response to him was I don't have a husband and then Jesus said to her you speak well because in reality you have had five husbands and the one who you, who you are with right now is not your husband so we find a couple things that that do not constitute marriage. Just a sexual relationship doesn't produce a marriage. Also, living together does not produce a marriage. Jesus makes a clear distinction. This lady had five husbands. She's living with another guy. And there was a difference between being married to these first five fellows and this guy she was now living with. Maybe she'd been married five times and she gave up on marriage. She said, I'm just going to live with this guy. But even that didn't satisfy because she ends up being ripe for the Lord Jesus to share the gospel with there at the well. 
Uh, what does? What does constitute a marriage? What does produce a marriage? Well, first thing we find is that it involves a covenant of companionship. A covenant of companionship or, or a commitment to companionship. It's vows to keep in, be, in being a companion to someone. And we find that spelled out for us in Proverbs 2.17 where it says, Who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God? It's describing marriage there. And it's talking about a, a woman forsaking her husband and, and forsaking the covenant she made in, in him becoming her husband. Same thing stands out in Malachi chapter 2. Uh, verse 13 kind of sets the context. It says, and this is the second thing you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with your tears, with weeping and crying. So he does not regard the offering anymore, nor receive it with goodwill from your hands. God's not accepting their offerings. And they say, for what reason? And here's the reason. Because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth, with whom you have dealt treacherously, yet she is your companion and your wife by covenant what's a covenant that's an agreement that that's promises you know we we have abraham's covenant where god promised abraham leave your father and your mother and your family and you go to the place i'm going to show you and i'll give you land i'll give you seed i'll give you seed so much that it'll it'll be more than the, the grains of sand on the on the seashore the number of stars in the sky and i will bless you and I'll bless all nations through you. We have the covenant with David. We have the covenant God made with Moses and the children of Israel. Those are promises. Uh, God binds himself in, in the promises he made to Abraham. And he will keep all those promises to Abraham. And he'll keep the promises he made to, to David. And he makes promises to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. We have the New Testament or the new covenant in his blood, which promises us if we'll put our trust in Christ, We'll be forgiven. We'll have salvation from any sins and all sins that we've ever committed. That's what a covenant is. It's a promise. It's a vow. And that's what marriage is about. It's about making a commitment to someone, a commitment of companionship. It's vowing you are going to be a companion to your husband or a companion to your wife. That's what marriage is all about. It's a covenant before God for one thing. We, we, uh, when we have a church wedding here, we, we make it very clear that, that this is before God and the witnesses that are taking place. When we pray, we use the scriptures. We, we pronounce people uh, husband and wife in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit many times. and It's clear. It's a covenant before God when we promise to be a faithful husband, promise to be a faithful wife. We make that promise before the Lord. It's also a covenant before man. Some people might say, well, we'll just go out under the stars on the beach up at Caseville and, and we'll just pledge ourselves to each other and we'll, we'll make a commitment to each other and we'll be husband and wife. Well, there's a little more to it. And that's the fact that we live in a society. We live in a country. We live in a state where there are laws. Laws that define what marriage is. Unfortunately, they're messing those laws up right now. But, but still, we, we have laws in this country. Before somebody gets married here, they have to go down to the courthouse and they have to get a marriage license. And then before somebody's legally married, 
uh, that the license has to be filled out. Pastor has to sign his name to it. You have to get the the bride sign her name to it, and the groom sign his name, and the the best man is a witness, and the maid of honor is a, a witness, and and then you you send that in, and it's registered, and somebody is registered as being married then here in Tuscola County because they were married according to the laws of, of the, the state of Michigan and, and Tuscola County. And it's important that we do that. Uh, we need to honor the laws of our country. In Romans chapter 13 and verse 1, it tells us we need to live in subjection to the higher powers, which is, is the government. We need to be, obey the laws that are in place for marriage. It's important that we do that. So what's, a co- what's marriage? It is a covenant of companionship before God, before men. And it's important that we do that. And Romans 13 spells out the importance of taking, making that covenant before, before men. God also has a third part in his plan. There's leaving and there's cleaving. And there's the matter of weaving. A man shall leave his father and mother, cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Very important thing. Two become one flesh. That is referring to unity and intimacy. It, it's the weaving of, of two lives together. It's not just living your life. It's joining, joining of everything, joining of hopes and dreams, and finances, and and love, and also bodies. It's a union of bodies in the the sexual relationship. We we symbolize this many times with the the unity candle, where you have two candles on the outside, and then you have a middle candle, and the service starts. you got two outside candles lit, and then you get to the place in the candle and the ceremony for the uh, unity candle, and the bride and the groom take those two outside candles, and they, they light the middle candle, and then they extinguish the outer candle. I know there's some people that go ahead and, and leave the two outside candles lit. Personally, I don't think that's accurate. Because your life as it was before you got married is now over. You know, there are, there are things that continue on, but it's different. It's different. You no longer think just in terms of me, but you think in terms of what? Me. Us, and that's the way it's supposed to be. And you, it's a unity of of two different human beings. It is not a uniformity, but it is it's two different people. A man and a woman come from two different backgrounds, and we should make ourselves better by joining our lives, and we should make ourselves better for the Lord and more effective in serving the Lord by joining our lives together. That's what God's plan is all about. That we join our lives together and become more effective in representing Jesus Christ. And by the way, this is all this is all a picture of the relationship between Christ and the church. And the unity that there's to be between Christians and, and Christ. And, and also in some ways pictures the relationship between God the Father and God the Son. Pastor Mark's going to talk about that in, in a few weeks. He talks about the beautiful symbolism that's involved here. But in this weaving of lives together. It also includes, but is not limited exclusively to, the sexual relationship. God's plan is for intimacy between a husband and wife. And the physical intimacy and the sexual relationship contributes to that. 
That's God's plan. As you share your lives together, your joys, your sorrows, your successes, your sufferings, your failures, you also share your bodies. You join your bodies. And there's a divine origin to all this. You know, God invented sex. Did you realize that? The world takes it and corrupts it sometimes. But God invented the sexual relationship. That was his plan before the fall. One of his big commands to Adam and Eve was be fruitful and multiply. As far as I know, there's only one way to do that. That's God's plan for the physical relationship between the husband and wife. Sex is good. It's pure. It's a wonderful wedding present from, from God to the husband and the wife. It, it's a wonderful thing. A great gift from God. And we, we find also that, that God has put protection on physical intimacy. He's built a fence around it to protect it. And that fence that he puts around it is marriage. It's to be a sexual relationship between a man and a woman who are committed to each other until death should separate them. That's God's plan. Not for a couple people doing one-night stands or, or people just talking and, and getting involved in casual physical relationships. This is God's plan. And he puts a, a beautiful fence around it. And his idea is to protect us. We had some folks come from Baptist Bible College, now Summit University, a few years back. Uh, one of the, the student teams came out here, and they, they did a skit. One of the skits they did left a lasting impression on me. There was a, a young lady that had a big paper heart, and she went around, and, and uh, she'd meet one guy, and she'd tear off a little piece of her heart, and she'd hand it to this guy. And then she'd come to another fellow, she'd tear off a little piece of her heart. And she'd give it to this guy. And then to another fella. And she'd tear up a little piece of her paper heart and she'd give it to this guy. And then she came to the guy that was going to be her husband. And what did she have? She had a lot of her heart that was torn away, given to other people. That's not God's plan. That's not God's plan. God's plan, regardless of what our culture, what our movies, what our authors today tell you, God's plan is for a man to save himself for his wife until after they're married. And, and for a woman to save herself for her husband to engage in a, a physical relationship after they are married. That's God's plan. And it hasn't changed. And it's still the, the most fulfilling type of a relationship that you can have physically when it is like that. And it leads to a beautiful openness and transparency. That, that last phrase talks about in, in Genesis 2.25 says, And the husband and Adam and Eve were, were naked and they weren't ashamed. Why weren't they ashamed at that point? Because they had nothing to be ashamed of. They could be open and transparent with each other physically and in every other way. That's God's plan. To lead to a beautiful openness and transparency. That's what he intends his people to enjoy is this beautiful companionship that's open and transparent. It's God's plan for us. That's a good plan, isn't it? Man keeps wanting to change it. And when they try to change it, they, they mess it up. Sin messes it up. And it gets messed up in, in a whole lot of ways. In fact, uh, when, as we talk about God's family plan, one of the things we also need to talk about is the situations where God's plan isn't really what some folks are living. Not what some folks have come out of. In March the 20th, we'll talk about special families. 
What about special families? What about when the ideal hasn't been realized? Well, and if you look in Scripture, you see a lot of people came out of some pretty dysfunctional families. But yet, well, how about Joseph? Can you imagine living in the household of, of Jacob and growing up in that household? But yet God could use, that, that's March 20th, come back then. Uh, I'm going to Florida. We're leaving this afternoon. I don't want to get all too long here. But God's plan is for us to have this open and beautiful, transparent kind of companionship with another human being on this earth. What a glorious thing that is. But one thing you need to keep in mind as well, you can't have that kind of a companionship with another human being until you have a, a close and saving companionship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We have to know Christ as Savior. We have to be living for Him an unselfish life, having taken up our cross and be following Him, living our lives for Him. Then we, then we will have the capability to have this kind of companionship with another human being. Remember last week when we talked about the the fourth place where God's standard is laid down there in Ephesians chapter 5. It's laid down in a passage that starts out with a command to be filled or controlled by the Spirit of God. We can't do this on our own. Why, why are so many marriages messed up? Because people are messed up in their relationship with Christ. That's why. If we're in a right relationship with Christ, it sure helps making that relationship with a husband and wife a whole lot better. And if we're not in a right relationship with Christ, I'll tell you what, the first place it shows up is in our relationship with our wives. I talked to a guy that was into speaking in tongues pretty heavily a number of years ago, and he's telling me what a great thing it is to be speaking, to be able to speak in tongues and experience the Holy Spirit filling him and controlling him that way. And, and it was just a great thing. I said, how are you getting along with your wife? It was like I popped that guy's bubble. See, he thought speaking in tongues and going through all these ecstatic experiences was all about what showed God's filling in his life. That's not it, folks. What shows God's filling in our life? Being able to always rejoice, always give thanks, and be submissive to one another, submit ourselves to one another in the fear of God. And we can only do that when we're controlled by the Spirit of God and have a saving and close companionship with the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for what your plan, what your desire is for marriage. We thank you, Lord, that you, you saw that it wasn't good for Adam to be alone. You provided Eve for him. You've seen that it's not good for us to be alone, and you provide people for us, although there are times in this world, Lord, that, that, that we still are alone, and we thank you for the special provision that, that you made, special concern, Lord, that you, that you have for for widows and for widowers and for orphans and, and those that come out of difficult family situations. But, Lord, we, we just pray that you would help us to do the best that we can, trusting the Lord Jesus Christ, being empowered by the Spirit of God to be the kind of husbands and wives you would have us to be, to glorify God. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.